Welcome to the Global Missions, Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Andy Snoke. The book of James, we're going to be in the third chapter of James. And as you know, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And this book is a book of wisdom. It's arranged with a little verse, and then he expounds uh, on that verse. It's not like the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs has every verse is a message, Uh, This one, he'll mention a statement of wisdom, and then he expounds on it a little bit. Uh, James doesn't have a lot of formal theology uh, in this book like the Apostle Paul did. And yet, there's only 108 verses in the entire book. And out of that, there are uh, 22 references to the Old Testament and 15 allusions to the teachings of Jesus as was said on the Sermon on the Mount. So there's a lot of scriptures, but he doesn't necessarily quote it like a scripture, but a lot of it is alluded to, you might say. So it's a good book, and this is one of those books that you read. If you want wisdom, just read the book of uh, James. So there's some good things in every one of these chapters, and tonight we're on the third chapter. Okay. He starts off, James, the third chapter. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we receive a stricter judgment. Now, that's a really important verse here. You know, he's kind of saying, don't be uh, anxious to be a teacher. He's talking about spiritual things here. And there's a lesson that's kind of buried in this verse. But, you know, if you... If you are a teacher, you have a greater judgment because you're pointing people certain directions, and you have to be sure you're pointing the wrong direction. It's one thing for you or I to walk disobediently to the Lord, but it's a a much greater sin for you and I to walk disobediently and then encourage and teach others to walk disobediently because our lives affect other lives. So he's telling us to be, for teachers particularly, to be very careful. And this next verse is so true. For we all stumble in many things. And isn't that true? We all stumble in many things. As long as we're made from the fabric of human flesh, we're going to stumble. We're going to trip from time to time. And then he starts to expound on this a little bit, and he's going to start talking about the tongue. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. I I don't really know if there really is anybody (laughs) that doesn't stumble with the words that they say. Uh, We all stumble from time to time. But now he's going to start to expound on how important the words are that we say, And I I could add how important it is the words that we don't say. Sometimes you can minister to a situation by not saying anything. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder 
wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. It's a small member, but it boasts great things. And a couple of things here I wanted to kind of interject here. In Proverbs, it says this, 18th chapter, 21st verse, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our tongue, our words, has the power to bring death or life. James, in the first chapter, he gave us wonderful, wonderful, wonderful advice when he said this, James uh, chapter 1, verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, this is how we should behave. Let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So I, I love that. There's a lot of wisdom in that. Be swift to hear. Quickly learn to learn to listen. Be slow to speak and be slow to wrath. There are There is a lot of wisdom in that. Listen, slow down when you speak. Sometimes some words hurt more than actions. Words hurt more than hands do. Be sure to taste your words before you spit them out. Words spoken in anger leave wounds that never heal. Words will scratch more hearts than swords. Some words stay in your head long after they're spoken. Uh, And there's many other good ones here too that I could read, but uh, let's see here. Before you say something, think how you'd feel if someone said it to you. So I thought that that was very good. So the little tongue is a little member. It's a little bitty part of your body, and it boasts great things. See how great a force a little fire kindles? I mean, the, the point is a little bitty fire can burn down an entire forest. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. He continues to expound on it. You know, you really see this with children. All of us that have raised children realize how important your words are. You raise them with words and with actions. And a little a thing about children is they believe their mom and dad. And if you use good words and tell them you love them and you appreciate them and they have a future and they're smart and there's nothing they can't accomplish, they will believe their parents. And consequently, if a parent were to tell a young child growing up that, you know, you're just worthless, you're no good, you'll never amount to anything, no one loves you, the sad thing is that child will believe you. Your words can create a child, a great child, direct them into adulthood, or it can destroy a child. And here's a few things about children, words and children. If children live with criticism... They learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with fear, they learn to be apprehensive. If children live with pity, they learn to feel sorry for themselves. If children live with ridicule, they learn to feel shy. If children live with jealousy, they learn to feel envy. If children live with encouragement, 
they learn confidence. If children live with praise, they learn appreciation. If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with recognition, they learn to set goals. If children live with sharing, they learn generosity. If children live with honesty, they learn truthfulness. If children live with kindness and consideration, they learn respect. Our words in a home, particularly when we have children, is very, very critical in the things that we say to our, our children, that we don't say things just out of anger, but we can learn to say positive things to kids. You know, I think it's a wonderful thing when parents love their kids and give them a good healthy dose of self-respect and self-confidence, and we can kind of chuckle at it, but it's a good thing to see. And there's a little story about a little girl, I don't know, she might have been five years old, full of self-confidence. She had a good mom and dad, and she's drawing a picture, and her mother says, sweetie, what, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing, about, I'm drawing a picture of Jesus. And her mother said, well, you know, sweetie, no one really knows what Jesus looked like. And she said, well, they will when I get done with my picture. So it's a good thing to teach kids confidence. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. He's got some strong words here to say. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt and fresh among you. And then he begins to change the corner a little bit after he gives us this admonition on being very careful with the words that we share and speak to one another. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. James talks a lot about faith and works going hand in hand. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. And by the way, well, let's go on first. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. We've all received wisdom from above, and that's how it comes to us. And by the way, we all know this, but there's a vast difference between wisdom and knowledge, a vast difference. You can have all kinds of knowledge and, and still be a fool. You can have all the knowledge in the world 
And as far as God is concerned, be a fool. The Bible says a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Knowledge is knowing, having information and knowing something. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that information. Kind of like the old story, knowledge tells you that there's uh, there's danger up ahead. Wisdom tells you how to avoid it. And then there's that wisdom that comes from God that he's talking about here. This wisdom, when God gives wisdom, first, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's not hard, it's not difficult, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, it's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that's the the end of the third chapter. James, the fourth chapter, it's a short chapter full of good advice. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. I like that last little statement there. You do not have because you do not ask. That's one of Debbie's favorite sayings. You do not have because you do not ask. And there's actually a lot of truth to that. Debbie will go to a garage sale and something's on sale for $10 and she'll ask, ask if they'll sell it for a dollar. And then she'll tell me, you do not have because you do not ask. But, you know, we need to ask for things sometimes. But even with God, it's okay and proper to ask the Lord for the right things. And then he gives a little explanation here. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's starting to explain how they were erring in their prayers and the things that they were asking for. And then he gives another further explanation. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is in in enmity with God? So he talks about that a little bit here. And in my uh, my notes with from Dr. Ryrie, he mentions that this word adulterous people, he says it's symbolic language for unfaithful people, as often in the Old Testament. And then where it says friendship with the world, the Greek word is philia, which indicates a reciprocal relationship. Unfaithful people love the world, and the world loves them. I thought that was good. Unfaithful people love the world, and the world loves them. This verse here, do you not know that friendship with the world or the world system is enmity with God? And, uh, uh, okay, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you want to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? 
That simply means God is a jealous God. He wants us to himself. Just as a husband or a wife looks at their mate and wants that person to themselves, they don't want to share. Even so, the Lord is with the church. He is jealous for us. He yearns jealousy. He yearns jealousy over the spirit that is, that has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, and this is a good statement here, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love that. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, this is a whole nother subject in itself, but if you were to write down uh, what some of the worst sins on earth are, your opinion and God's opinion might be two different lists. There are things that we would say, there are certain sins that we would say are the worst. Murder would probably be one of them. But I have to think, according to the scriptures, that one of the worst sins as far as God's list is concerned is pride, is arrogance. That's at the top of his list. He resists, he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then he goes on to say, these next three verses here, 7 to 10, there are 10 verbs in these three verses, all commands. And these verses and attempts to indicate the need for a decisive and urgent break with the old life. So these next three verses are very positive verses with 10 verbs in them, things that we have to do. These are things that we have to take charge of and Grab the bull by the horns and do them. And here it is. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit to God. We have, that's, that takes action. Every one of these takes action. Submit your, yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It takes effort. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now, each one of these is a message in itself. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded means worldly-minded and spiritually-minded at the same time. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know, whenever you feel the spirit of pride kind of coming to the surface, a spirit of arrogance, you want to humble yourselves really quickly because if you don't, the Lord will. God will humble your, will help you be humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Next one. Very good. Do not speak evil against one another, one another, brothers. Don't speak evil against one another. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. There's a lot of scriptures that talks about not speaking evil about one another. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? 
kind of a sarcastic statement there. He's, he's saying, who, who do you think you are? Who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, the, uh, this next one is very good, and I appreciate Brother Crafton actually quotes his scripture quite frequently in his conversation. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That should be our attitude. Now, he was actually speaking to the Jews that were dispersed all over the world. Many of these Jewish people were going to different cities and were literally would go into a city or a country for a year and trade and make money and would plan, and that was all good. So, so, so he's kind of given a bit, some business advice here. It's okay to plan, but always say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to plan to do this. I'm going to plan to do that. If the Lord wills. And that is so true. We all understand all very easily and quickly that our life is like a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. And, if, and therefore, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. The next verse, he closes with it, but another very good verse. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You know, there are, how's that saying go? There are sins of commission, where you commit a sin. And then there are sins of omission, where you just omit to do something. There are sins of commission, and there are sins of omission. And here it says, so so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And that's the fourth chapter of James. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.